My Seven Chakras, Episode Three Thirty Two. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head, for thousands of years. This ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers, and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to my seven chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, the show where we provide you ancient wisdom, inspiring stories, and action steps so that you can transform your life. Now, if you are new to our show, then I want to give you a warm, warm welcome. And before we dive into today's amazing episode, let me read out our most recent five-star iTunes rating and review by Beth, who's from USA, who writes. AJ, thank you so much for your life-changing inspiration. Right now, I'm listening to the parable of the elephant and Ganesha, and I see so much about breakthrough, stepping into new things, and really becoming your authentic self. Thank you so much for your inspiration, Beth. So, thanks a lot, Beth, for the review. What an amazing review, Action Tribe. Would you like me to read out your review as well in front of thousands and thousands of listeners worldwide? If yes, then go to my7chakras.com forward slash review, my7chakras.com forward slash review. And don't forget to hit submit. And then I look forward to reading what you have to share. All right. So today's guest, uh, the reason why you are joining us today on today's episode, today's guest is an author, meditation guide and modern day mystic. He makes mindfulness and meditation fun, accessible and practical. As an engineer, he loves exploring the esoteric, which is the unknown, and making it exoteric, which is understood. He has written 15 books and is just about to publish his first novel, which is called Soul Wave, which is a possible future history of Earth and humanity. So Action Tribe, please welcome our guest, Tom Evans. Hey, Tom. Hey, great to be back, AJ. Thanks so much for inviting me. Wonderful. It's always great to have you on our show. And uh, with that being said, are you ready to inspire? Oh, let's inspire. Yes. Great, great, great. Okay, cool. So, um, well, well, thanks a lot for joining us. Maybe we could start with um, the question that I'm sure everyone has on their minds, which is you were, you know, prior to being uh, an author and a meditation teacher, you were a BBC broadcast engineer, correct? That's right. Yeah, I started my uh, my professional life at the BBC. What was life like back then? If you could start over there, well, it was great fun. Uh, you know, television. Um, we just had four TV channels in the UK then. Would you believe um, there was no um, Sky or Netflix or anything like that? Um, cameras used to break down and uh, were not so reliable. They took about three or four men to carry them because they were heavy. Uh, and then at that time, it, everything started to go small, you know, so the uh, new lightweight cameras came out from Japan. Um, I ended up working at Sony a few years later after starting at the BBC. So I was right at the forefront of the latest technology, mm -hmm. uh, going from tube technology to a CCD. So everything got smaller, lighter again. 
and uh, it was just great fun it was i i, I call it um, the magic of tv you know because at the time i didn't know how we can get a signal like we're doing now we get a, a camera and mm -hmm. somehow it gets encoded sent across the world and then decoded and then displayed yeah. um and at the time though it was still broadcasting what i'm so excited about is now we can do these things called narrowcasts you know so anybody can become a broadcaster and 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 get exciting material from one side of the planet to the other and archive it and have it on devices and all that sort of stuff so it's been a great experience for me to start at that um you know, like the steam age of tv all the way through to um the modern technology we've got today god yeah i mean we think we take things for granted sometimes uh the technology that we have so readily uh, accessible on our phones or even on our computers, like you mentioned, narrow casting the ability to stream as well as record and store all these large you know pieces of data, which is which is amazing. I mean, I just uh, read a joke yesterday where somebody says that these days people think that uh, this generation has started the podcast, but my mom has been recording uh, you know messages on the phone for thirty minutes long since ages. Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> nothing new under the sun. <laughs> nothing new under the sun. Now, so okay, so you did. Uh, you 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 worked at BBC and then you moved to Sony. What happened after that? Uh, you know what happened? Like, how did you make that transition from being an engineer, you know, to to moving towards, uh, you know, things like meditation or maybe being an author? What what happened after that? Uh, you know, well, I left uh, left Sony to form my own company. I became uh, okay. uh, started making engineering widgets that I sold all around the world. So I became okay. a, a manufacturer, and then my company was so successful it got um, it got purchased and taken over by a bigger company. Early nineties, and I became technical director. And I said, we've got to get into this thing called the internet. Right. And they said, no, we'll ne you'll never be able to put television and audio over the internet. You're wasting your time. So we kind of mm. fell out, and I took a year of gardening leave, and then I started building an internet company up. And then in my mid-40s, uh, it all just got too much. I was pretty stressed. I'd, and I'd built two, two businesses up from scratch uh, quite successfully. Uh, but life was tough, you know, in, in, in mm. business. I got a bit over, uh, I got stressed and someone said, you really need to meditate. And I said, well, don't be stupid. You know, I can't, I haven't got time. I can't mm. switch my mind off. You know, I had a very active mind. But I persisted. I found a good teacher, started to meditate. And then I noticed all kind of weird things started to happen. I started to become like super sensible, as Rudolf Steiner would, would call it. Mm -hmm. And as an engineer, I started to research this. So I started to get books on all the books on neuroscience I could I could discover in this field. And um, I started to study with a couple of esoteric schools and more and more things switched on. And, and as an engineer, I've always liked to explain complex technology. So I was very good right. at, I, I became a trainer for some time when I was at Sony because uh, I was quite good at explaining complex technology, the esoteric into exoteric, as you say. Mm -hmm. And then, as I discovered this other world of metaphysics, uh, which is you know beyond and above physics, I thought I'll start writing about it. And so a series of books came about, mm -hmm. and um, and I thought, well, I'd, rather than just talking about these heightened states of awareness, wouldn't it be nice if I could get people into those states? So as an engineer, as a recording engineer, I started to record meditations, mainly as accessories for the books. Mm -hmm. And I became a, an author's mentor. So even though I've written 15 books of my own, I, I started helping people getting through writer's block, tapping into uh, to become channels, to mm -hmm. tap into the collective consciousness. And then four years ago, pretty much to this week, Insight Timer discovered me. 
and I put one of my free meditations on Insight Timer, <laughs> and it, it went ballistic. People love the British accent, the fact there's a bit of sense <laughs> of humour in it. You know, I've never studied meditation. I've never been on a meditation class, and so, but I've studied um, uh, hypnotherapy, and I know how to get people into the trance state safely and, and back out of trance state. And and so, but at the time, I still thought I was an an author who had some meditations as accessories. Mm. Now it transpires the meditations are a fairly. I've, I've discovered they're world class. I've only had two million listens to them on Insight Timer, and so now I'm I'm allowing to call myself a meditation guide who happens to have some books on the side, which is kind of good. But I also know that's not the end of all the transitions, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm making this foray into into fiction writing as well. Got it. Got it. So that's quite a uh you know illustrious career with a lot of changes and pivots uh you mentioned that you you know you 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 were an engineer before but then because of all the things that are happening around you one thing or the other led to you trying out meditation then you developed these super sensible states as you mentioned and you learned that you got fascinated by not just physics but also the metaphysics of mm -hmm. things and that was uh, you know super super powerful but because you were an engineer and you used to articulating and explaining and 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 trying to make sense out of uh, you know these engineering terms you sort of put that uh, skill into practice with uh, with metaphysics and then you sort of went down the route of um, not just meditating but also teaching people how to meditate now when you experience these super sensible states that you mentioned what, what exactly did you experience I guess one of the main um, change of states I noticed is, uh, and this is to do with how you, when you meditate, it's not about having no thoughts at all, it's about just coming to a different um, uh, relationship with your thoughts, is I started to notice that not all the thoughts that I used to think were my thoughts were necessarily my thoughts. So I started to know things I couldn't possibly know. Now, some people will call this psychicness. I prefer the, the Rudolf Steiner term of supersensibility. You know that idea that you know you you think of somebody and then the phone rings and they're on the end of the phone and uh, so I found people like Rudolf Sheldrake were Rupert Sheldrake were were talking about this. I even started my own podcast, as you know, and started to interview other people uh, that experienced these things. And and so it seems to be fairly common that we've 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 all got these other abilities. And then I suppose the other thing I noticed or discovered, not all consciousness sits in our head. And this is obviously the, right. the part of your main work, really, is that <laughs> our chakra points are also what I call a, an engineer would call a transducer. Now, a transducer is a, a receiver and a generator. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to realize that your brain is not just a generator of thought, but also a receiver of thought, uh, and I wrote a book about this called The Art and Science of Lightbulb Moments, how you get ideas literally off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. But then you discover also the other mind centers are also receivers and are driving what goes on in our head. Our head becomes the observer. And, of course, this isn't new stuff. The, the sages and mystics all down the ages, tens of thousands of years old, knew this stuff. And a lot of it mm -hmm. is described in the major and minor arcana of the tarot. There's not a fortune telling deck. It's actually a set of keys that mm -hmm. open up these portals. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess there's, and I started to study both Western mystery tradition work and also Eastern mystery as well. So there's like a, if you like, there's, there's a very practical male dominated, I'll use the word magic, but magic isn't magic once you know how the tricks are done. Uh, in, in the Western mystery tradition, then the Eastern mystery tradition, it's slightly more subtle and uh, ethereal. Um, but when you mix the two together, then you end up with a very powerful set of uh, 
set of tools. So yeah, I guess that idea that not all thoughts are your own, and certainly not all thought forms emanate from the head, they come from the other centers in our body. Got it, got it. That's wonderful. That's really fascinating to be able to just uh, know, and I'm sure our listeners are taking note as well, but just to know that we have so many abilities and uh, gifts that are still lying dormant, maybe, that can mm -hmm. be activated to tap into our superhuman potential. Now, you teach people how to meditate to get inspiration and words for their books and for their projects, right? How does yeah. this work? Well, the first thing is when one of the, the, the characteristics of the normal human mind is that it can only have one thought at a time. So if you think okay. about what you're thinking about, then that thought replaces the thought you were having, if you just want to think about that for a minute. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, once you get into the meditative state, though, uh, you can actually run multiple thought streams at the same time. But also you can quieten the internal chatter that goes on in your mind. An, an author might be um, having this conversation oh, I'm no good at this, or I should have a cup of coffee or something like that, or maybe I'll put it off to tomorrow. Those things could go on inside inside mm -hmm. someone's mind. Um, but when you get your mind quiescent, you then become a cha what's called a channel. You become um, a, a vessel for the words to flow through you. Now, some people I've worked with channeled fairies at the bottom of the garden. Some people I've worked with have channeled the dear departed. Uh, you know, there's a classic medium other people channel the angels and the archangels. But what I like to teach people to do is to channel their future self. Right. And the, so there's a future version of us who knows the words that are in our books in the future. Right. So mm -hmm. why not tap into it? Now, this could just be active imagination. It doesn't have to be real. But if you imagine that's what we're doing and it works, who's to argue? Yes, yeah, so I've got some very specific meditations and in fact a whole course on how to tap into yourself who knows the words. Now what happens is a lovely byproduct when you do that as well. When you when you remain in the meditative state with your eyes open, time stretches. So you seem to get more done in less time. Now one of the reasons for this is that um, because the, the human mind can only process one thing at a time. If you're thinking about what you're trying to work on at the time and then you're thinking about a conversation that maybe didn't go very well yesterday or you've got a podcast interview coming up and you're thinking about the answers you're going to give in that podcast interview or something like that, or you're doing a wedding speech at the weekend, then of course you're going to be naturally inefficient. So when you remain in the, right. the quiet mind state, while you've got your eyes open working on something, whether it's painting, uh, music, uh, recording a meditation or writing a book, time seems to stretch and get into this lovely loose state, flow state. So I quickly caught on to what you said. Did you say meditating with your eyes open? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty much in a meditative state all the time. So I'm in, I'm in what you call the meditative state right now, after okay. a while. So I've been meditating about 16 years now, and I think after yep. about four or five years, I was more in the meditative state than out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know what I mean, so you're in the meditation, and I've got I've got some very specific meditations to help you do that as well, and um, so a few of them on the app on the Insight Timer app. There's one called Getting in the Zone, on yep. the, which is free on the Insight Timer app that helps you get your left and right brains synchronized together, uh, and then you can enter the flow state actually very simply by just looking at a spot on the wall. You look at a spot on the wall any time okay. that your your thought a thought comes in, just focus on the spot on the wall again, then widen your gaze. So you're aware of the things around the spot mm -hmm. 
and above and below the spot. And again, if your any thoughts come back in, just focus on the spot, but be aware of what's around you. Then you widen it still further, so you're aware of the ceiling Aww. up above and the, and the floor and then the walls around you. And you end up in this lovely, lovely, soft, subtle flow state. It's a great state to be in. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love uh, the direction in which we're headed right now because um, you, you, you mentioned a while back that you also teach people how to have these light bulb moments on demand, right? Because many of our listeners, and that's why they're called action takers, they're people mm -hmm. who live in the city and they are maybe creatives or business people or maybe uh, working professionals as well who thrive on being able to, you know, get an idea, but not only have an idea, manifest the idea in the physical plane. And so ha if they were able to have these light bulb moments on demand, that would be awesome. So talk to us about this phenomena. Firstly, what is a light bulb moment in your mm -hmm. opinion? And then maybe we could go deeper. Yeah, uh, well, I wrote this book called The Art and Science of Light Bulb Moments. The first half of the book is the artful state you get into to have the idea. And the second half of the book is then how you ground that idea so that idea doesn't get away. You know, you've always had, we've always had the ideas and two years, you do nothing with it. Two years later, you see someone else has done that idea. So right. I believe that all these ideas sit in the collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. And a light bulb moment is nothing more or less than us tapping into that collective consciousness. And in the collective okay. consciousness is all thought from all beings. If you believe there's other life on other planets, that, that, that those thoughts are in the collective consciousness as well. Then, uh, and it's got thoughts past, present, and future. So when Leonardo da Vinci had the light bulb moment about the helicopter, perhaps mm -hmm. all he was doing was tapping into um, the future existence of helicopters. And obviously, he has the prescience, and I love the way that our language gives this away, prescience can be hyphenated to pre-science. He had the pre-scientific right. idea that if a helicopter failed, it might be a good idea to have a parachute as well. So he drew drawings of parachutes and 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 helicopters. So so a light bulb moment is um, is uh, a tapping into that collective consciousness. Now, what happens when you have the light bulb moment? Though I used to think it was a whole brain event. So yeah. the left brain got got the detail of the idea, and the right brain uh, got the big picture. Um, because the the model of the brain, where the left brain is logical and the right brain is creative, is a is a very mm -hmm. tired urban myth. There's a great book by a guy called. Ian McGilchrist called The Master and His Emissary that's got fantastic detail about the latest research into the function of left and right brain. And it looks like the left brain sits inside space and time and the right brain sits everywhere and everywhere else. But what I discovered about oh. light bulb moments, I couldn't, I, couldn't find any, I couldn't find any research about it online. So I channeled the path of a light bulb moment. Um, and in meditation, I got this as a path and you will love this because it absolutely ticks all the seven chakra boxes. So when you have a light bulb moment, what happens is it comes in through your crown chakra and goes all the way down to your root chakra. Your root chakra checks in with Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. Is it safe for the planet? Is it ecological? Is it the right thing to do? It then gets passed up to your sacral chakra. And in the sacral chakra, uh, it checks in, will this provide for my needs and for the needs of the world? Then it goes up to your gut chakra, the solar plexus chakra, and you check in, is it right? And the gut chakra is an old mind. It only speaks in a yes or a no or a go or a no go. It hasn't got language. So it says, yes, this is a good idea. Then it goes to your heart chakra, and the heart chakra falls in love with it. And again, the heart chakra doesn't speak in language. It speaks in warm, love, uh, cold, 
or stone cold, you know, so it's, it's, it's a feeling center. Yeah. Then it pops up into your right brain and you start to see the big picture. Then it goes over to the left brain and you see the detail. And then it comes back to your voice box and you shout with the fifth chakra, Eureka. So the whole whole mind event, not whole brain events. So that, and that's why if you were to put someone in an MRI scanner when they have a light bulb moment, you wouldn't yeah. just see you wouldn't just see the head lighting up, you see all the neurology lighting up. And that's why we get really excited about them. So God, the whole God. whole mind, whole body events. And it all happens in less than a second. So there you actually tribe, uh we're talking about the idea that your mind is not just confined within your head, but your mind is your whole body because consciousness is across your whole body, not just your head, uh, but also your memories or your emotions and your thought forms are stored in your in your chakras as well as your entire auric body and which is very fascinating thanks a lot for sharing that with us uh, tom now you sort of mentioned that you're always in a state of meditation right and you're you, you try to be in this state of flow so that you're, you're you're able to access things from beyond the will and from the collective consciousness so what's it like to live life in flow what are some characteristics of a day where you're living in flow you you become super lucky absolutely so so you're always landing on your feet um because you're in your mind's in a quiet state you notice things so you notice for example oh uh, that's a bit tough or i'm struggling there there must be a reason for that so either i might need to learn something or maybe it's not a good time for me to uh, be doing that particular thing mm -hmm. but you notice serendipity you notice right. gifts that come along you notice uh, things pop off on your browser things pop in your email uh, you see uh, things on the tv you see things on billboards and what have you and uh, and and you just like super aware um well i've just gone i'm super aware that my 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 my, my Mac went to sleep for a minute then I thought it had just gone. So, <laughs> so you just become lucky and you, you start to live a charmed life. You start to live a life where everything you need turns up just when you need it, which is great from a, a financial perspective because you don't fret about when you're going to get paid or when a client's coming in. You right. get to this point when, uh, you know, I do, I used to be, I was raised Roman Catholic and mm -hmm. My upbringing was that um, you should always do for other people first before yourself. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to get out of that state. You know, if, a, if an aircraft depressurizes, they say, put your mask on first and you can help yep. other people. And mm -hmm. I realized that if um, for me to be able to help the maximum number of people, I've got to look after myself first. I've got to be in a, in, in, a, in a healthy state. So I meditate every morning, irrespective of what I'm doing. I listen to some, other, some of the other fantastic teachers on, on the Insight Timer app, which is, which is free. And then I'm in a great state to help other people out. So yeah, it's just I, so the answer to your question is you just become super lucky, super charmed, uh, mm -hmm. and, and the the right people you need around you at the time you need them just show up. Got it, got it. And I'm sure many of our listeners would want to tap into that same very state as well. I do. Um, and part of it you mentioned is to maintain or to practice a daily meditation routine. Um, but not only that you've suggested a, a few other things also, right? I mean, just to uh, be more cognizant or aware of things that are happening in your life. And if something is not working, so maybe you, you use some level of genuine curiosity and to investigate or understand why, as opposed to reacting emotionally. So how, yeah, we, I mean, my question is how, how does some, how can somebody get more into such a state that would allow them to inflow that would then allow them to be more lucky and more 
uh, experience more serendipity and, and more of these moments. Well, the first thing you said is, is meditate every single day. Uh, there's no okay. excuse not to do it. I used to think I didn't have the time to do it. And I then noticed on the days I didn't meditate, I had a worse right. day. So mm -hmm. the, the five or ten minutes you get, you, you invest, and it is an investment, not uh, spending of time. You mm -hmm. invest in meditation every day, you get back easily over the day. right? So that's number one. You can do it any time. See, I'm a morning meditator. Some people meditate in, in, in the evening. If you're not driving, you can meditate on the way to to work and that sort of stuff take uh, 10 minutes out at lunchtime and that sort of stuff and find something in your life also you want to get rid of so if you're addicted to soaps or computer games or something like that and you want to do less of those then switch that into meditation time you'll become better at computer games if you meditate anyway which is just a little side product then the mm -hmm. important thing this is it where it comes in when you quieten your mind you start mm -hmm. to realize that as i said all not all thought forms come from your head so if you're in a situation when you don't like it, something wrong, you can actually interrogate your heart center, right? And you can interrogate your, your gut center. And you can actually have conversations with them and they respond to you in this mm -hmm. very pr prototype language. So when you get your, your gut, your heart and your head in alignment, you never put a foot wrong. You never put a foot wrong. And the gut mind and the heart mind, uh, and this is some latest neuroscience, actually run a few seconds ahead of uh, our conscious mind as well. They're always right. Yeah. And so if you've got to make a decision about something, uh, you can ask your gut, say, is it right for me? And you'll mm -hmm. get a yes or a no mm -hmm. slightly back before you've actually asked the question. It's quite, kind of weird. You can also <laughs> ask your, your heart, is it, is it <laughs> lukewarm about it? Is it cold about it? Or is it hot about it? And if you get, let's say you get a no from your gut or you get a lukewarm from your heart, what you can then do is ask both your, head, your heart and your gut, what has to change? So I would get a green light from my gut and what would have to change? So I get, I could fall in love with it. Now, because these centers are not cognitive centers and they, they don't have language, mm -hmm. when you get the answer back, it comes in through the crown from the collective. Which right. is kind of weird, right? So uh, I've got a couple of meditations that actually do this, where uh, you, you can tune into your heart, tune into your gut. Mm -hmm. I think one one of them is on um, Insight Time, and called the Be Calm meditation. And there's a version called Be Calm for longer. Right. And they take you through this process of uh, interrogating the heart, interrogating the gut. And when you do that, of course, when you always make a good decision, yeah, always put your foot. You again save lots of time. Not going down the wrong road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my advice. So meditate every day and start to get your head, heart, and gut in alignment. Got it. Got it. I mean, I think uh, one of the most uh, powerful questions or perennial questions that has always been there on someone's mind is, who are we, right? Are we just this physical human body or are we something more? If we ask the ancient sages, they would tell us that we are energetic beings. Mm -hmm. If we ask, uh, if you ask a... Uh, you know, a scientist, you'd probably tell us, no, wait, you know, you have the second brain in your gut and then you have bacteria over there. And if you actually think about it, there are more bacteria cells in your body than there are human cells. So maybe you're yeah. just, you know, are you, are you bacteria? Or if you ask, uh, you know, uh, you know, somebody else, you, you, he would tell you that, you know, you're not just this human being, but at the cellular level, you are cells and you have trillions and trillions of cells. So essentially, you're a colony of cells mm -hmm. as opposed to this human being that you think you are. And each of these cells, you know, function independently. So then there's, you know, there's, there's so many ways to look at it, right? I mean, us as a, as a human being, are we just one single entity or are we all these different expressions of life? <laughs> that's a great, yeah. That's a sort of kind of duality uh, view of it. Are, are we 
Right. Is life generated by the human body, or is 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 the human body a distillation or something? I'd I'd prefer to think of the human body as a vessel for the soul. Yeah. Um, and uh, and actually, one of the things that happened to me, and I've taught this to other people as well, when I did a past life regression course, yeah, I spontaneously started to see past and future lives in people's auras, which is kind of yeah. weird. And so you realise that you're a vessel for all the all the beings that down mm -hmm. your timeline and also forward in, in in your timeline and and then when i looked into this a bit further the minor arcana of the tarot mm -hmm. actually describes us as nine dimensional beings having a three dimensional experience and so the okay. the, the, the four suits of the tarot actually describe the four planes of consciousness that we can tap into. So one being the archetypal plane, which is the plane of ideas, the plane yeah. we pick our light bulb moments up from. The other being the creative plane, which gives us the, the plane of what you can do with these ideas. And mm -hmm. then the next plane is the formative plane, which brings time in. So how can we bring this idea into our timeline? And then the fourth plane being the, the physical plane. And you can, tap in, you can tap into all of those planes. And obviously these, the material scientist is very, very embedded in the in the in the physical plane now i used to be kind of slightly angry about uh, religious dogmatism and i got slightly angry about um about scientific dogmatism but if it wasn't for some of the great science yeah around we wouldn't be having this conversation uh over this quantum gap you know so yeah and, and i now understand it um that we needed to do the separation from spirit yeah. and learn so much about the physical plane so then we can yeah. rebond with spirit as well with that with that uh, that knowledge so uh, and and there's some great scientists out there that are really open-minded and, uh, and yeah. for me i like having one foot in one camp one foot in another camp i love this technology i love all the stuff we're playing with i couldn't do my books and my meditations without it wouldn't be able to have this conversation with people like you without it and you know i enjoy the internet as much as everyone else and i use it a lot for research and uh, and and what have you so um uh but but to me, um, we are much more than just this physical body. Where we we are a soul who's got this vessel to have this yeah. experience on the planet Earth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I love that you brought about the topic of dogma because I just had a meditation yesterday. I I, I thought deeply about this particular concept. Is that you know a lot of people consider themselves spiritual, right? And then there are other people who don't believe in the essence of that we are is in a sense spirit uh, but then there's a there's a danger there for people who consider themselves spiritual because it's it's pretty easy to get into a state of dogma right where you off, you know almost automatically start uh, judging other people for their beliefs and you believe that your path is right and your way of thinking is right i think like you've alluded to it happens uh, everywhere whether it's a group of historians who depend on one f version of history or whether it's science one version of history and in the past they would hang you if you went against them so i think uh you know in addition to being spiritual i think that's not enough we need to realize that yes we are of spirit but more importantly we are seekers who are constantly seeking the truth and moving away from dogma uh and 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 if we are proven wrong then we must you know accept it humbly mainly because we're seeking the truth and we're not hell-bent on being right uh, you know, so I think you brought out a wonderful point there is to stay away from dogma. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about your book now. I mean, it's 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 a pretty interesting and a, and an epic book that is uh, lined up to be released, uh, Soul Wave. What inspired you to write it? I was in South Africa. Uh, yeah. I was having a shower. Okay. And um, I turned around and there was a tarantula in the shower. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and it and it was uh, I got the reception people to get it out. They said it wouldn't have killed you, but it would have given you. You would have been pretty ill if it had bitten you. And and I was reading at the time a book called The Phenomenon of Man by a, a Jesuit philosopher called Teilhard de Chardin. And I had this sort of light bulb moment. When he, it wasn't exactly a life-threatening thing, but you know I was pretty scared at the time. And uh, I thought, hang on, if I was to die today, I've got all this knowledge that I've been, all these books I've been reading, and they're pretty hard books. So The Phenomenon of Man is a great book. Uh, it predates James Lovelock uh, Gaia theory by about 10 or 20 years. Uh, and it's about the earth being this um this conscious being and we're mm-hmm. we're and we we're also self-aware and we we give self-awareness to the earth right and the earth the earth has got this field as well called the newosphere so, all the, so I thought, wouldn't it be great if i can get all this stuff i've been reading out into the world and yep. at the time i hadn't written any um non-fiction books at all and so i had the idea that uh i could do it as a novel so if there were some things that the people disagreed with like harry potter with the invisibility cloak and and that sort of stuff i said well it's just a story it's not real yeah. and stuff. so i wrote this book i wrote this treatise um must be 14 i don't know 13 14 years ago 15 books ago and i didn't do anything with it, it sat on my hard drive and then i started i got into non-fiction writing the the light bulb moment books i've written two books that describe the tarot and uh, right. and and in in a very easy way and then um and then on my 59th birthday i spent it at my best friend from school's funeral yep yeah and i went oh hang on if i don't make 60 this old novel of mine is is not going is not going to see the light of day so i was committed to try and get it done for my 60th birthday which came and went about a year ago uh, okay. But I've become a much better writer then as well. So I, I, I spent, I've really spent the last year really finessing and honing it, and right. uh, and I've brought some new characters in which you'll like as well. So it's not just I talk about these two places: the density, which is our physical world, in yeah. it, and the void. And I've got some characters in the void that are pulling strings down in the density, which is great fun as well. So, yeah. And so anyway, so it's a future, future history of Earth. Um, it's it's about it. It's designed to get people to look up at the cosmos and see mm-hmm. how amazing it is to create what we've got in here. You know, all you see on the news at the moment is Donald Trump, and we've got Boris Johnson over here. You know, and, and it's it's mm-hmm. got a very egoful kind of existence, uh, yeah. and we don't look up at the stars anymore. Mainly because we live in 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 cities where we've got pollution and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and basically, we're we're only here by the, the by the slimmest of cosmic margins. And we yeah. should be treasuring this heaven that we we live on, this spaceship Earth. So to to make a point, I kill all life off on Earth, but with a, a cosmic catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, also life goes on uh, into another form after that as well. And uh, and I pulled out um, a lovely book from I think I mentioned it on the uh, podcast last time, Cosmic Memory by uh, Rudolf Steiner. So I've taken loads of ideas from that book and put it into there. And so it's 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 not, it's not just about um, not it's not a sort of uh, apocalypse kind of book, you know, like a, that you'd have, um, uh, what was his name, Bruce Thingy and, you know, that sort of stuff. It's not, it's not about asteroids hitting the Earth and that sort of stuff. Uh, mm. It's actually about the cycle of life and death, not just at an individual level, but uh, at a planetary level as well. And we've had lots of mass terminations in the past. And if we've not had the mass termination events in the past, you and I would not be here having this conversation right now. Right, right. right. Absolutely. I mean, uh, cosmic cataclysms and mass uh, extinctions, these have been happening for, for uh, you know, eons, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, just uh, we sort of tend to forget uh, to look into the galaxy and sort of really understand what's happening 
in the universe because if you really think about it, we are just one small speck darting through the universe and there are some pretty dangerous spots in the galaxy and just one large asteroid can, you know, lead to cataclysm and, and we don't realize yeah. how lucky and how grateful well, we are. Well, in this case, I don't mind telling you, it doesn't spoil the story because I, I put it, it's, it's pretty much right at the front. It's a supernova that goes off close to Earth. And if, right. a, and, and if we wouldn't be here if stars hadn't died in the past anyway, you and I are made of uh, stardust from uh, yeah. two or three generations of stars. That's where the heavy mm -hmm. elements that form our body come from. And yeah. so a supernova goes off. But had this supernova gone off, it actually went off in 1959 because it takes 150 light years for the stuff to get to us. So if, if, a, if, a, if a catastrophe of this nature has happened, yeah. it's already happened. So I, I play with time in the book as well. You know, So we've got some backwards and forwards in time and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, sort of, well, what's, what's really weird is um, one of the guys, one of the people I helped write a book um, about let's say, 10 years ago, he came to me and he said, I've written this book. Can you help me get it published? And I said, sure. He said, it's about a cosmic catastrophe. Mm. And I said to him, I said, well, so what year did your supernova go off then? Right, and his his went off virtually the same year as mine. He wrote a different book about it, so oh. a different a different seed idea, right? Ended in a different result, but two people who'd met at random, and it turned out that it's even weirder than that. It turned out that um, fifteen years ago, I bought a telescope from this same guy. Nowhere, it's a really weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so I'm not saying the book's true. The point is, look up uh, the sky and marvel at the universe that we live in to make us uh, able to have this experience on planet Earth. And, and can we all get on and stop fighting? <laughs> <laughs> so the name of your book is Soul Wave. What exactly is a soul, soul wave? wave. Yeah, so, yeah. so soul waves are the missing dark energy and dark matter the scientists can't find. They're the things that connect us together. So when you had that idea, oh, I must get in touch, must reach out with Tom, then mm -hmm. your soul connected with my soul. And yeah. soul waves are, they, they, they travel faster than light. And, and they are the missing bit of the universe that people can't, can't identify. And the stars connect with stars with soul waves. Planets connect with uh, stars with, with uh, soul waves. Soul waves are the stuff. They're, they're the strongest center for generating them is our heart center, by the way. Yep. And and again, I've got a lovely meditation free on Insight Timer that activates the heart rate. And the heart rate we can use to send universal love and healing to mm -hmm. anyone anywhere on the planet, um, past, for, past, present, and future. I think the, so, weirdest, the weirdest thing I did with my heart rate was heal two budgies in, in Vancouver over Skype. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a powerful, very powerful uh, center. Nice, nice, nice. So, I mean, I always tell this to our listeners, our Action Tribe community, that there's a soul wave that is connecting me and all the listeners who listen to our show. Mm -hmm. And before this, I didn't have a word to describe what that was. I was just saying heart energy mm -hmm. and... Uh, now it's soul waves. Now, now you know it, Action Tribe. It's it's soul waves that are connecting us around this uh, known universe, uh, transcending across space and time. But it's special. Uh, so, so Tom, uh, talk to us a bit more about this cataclysmic event that happens that you write about in your book, the the explosion of a supernova, right? Is that that's right? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, okay. um, the scientists don't think there's a supernova candidate uh, close enough to Earth that will wipe. Everyone, okay. everything up, which is fortunate. So it is, it is completely fictional. Although they have worked before I started writing the book, and and since then and now, they actually have found one that's 150 light years away. Right, Pegasus A and B. They might go off next week. They might have gone off already. As I said, they might go off in 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 10,000 years. 
uh, a supernova at 150 light years from uh, Earth actually wouldn't uh, wipe all life out on Earth, funnily enough. Um, it, it would make things bad. We'd probably lose the magnetosphere. Mm. Uh, the, the cancers would rise and stuff like that. So I've taken a bit of poetic license in the book, sure. especially, as, especially as I have these unseen beings that can manipulate soul waves. And what they do is instead of the, the supernova being spherical, they they beam it straight at Earth just to wipe life out so the next oh, phase yeah. of life can come about right so that's that's a that's a a real poetic license and fictional license in the book it's a bit like uh, let's say harry potter and the invisibility cloak and whatever so um so, so the point of the point of the the book is to get lots of the metaphysical stuff i never put in any other books out there mm -hmm. in, in a way which is fun so there's levitation in it, there's teleporting dolphins there's homage right. to douglas adams and the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy all over it and what have you so uh, there's a lot of fun stuff in it um and it's mainly to say that um that that, that we are just a speck on an evolutionary journey so we're not the pinnacle of mm -hmm. human evolution and there's more that we can do and, and and actually one of the routes into this is to actually get to understand the chakras so uh, i read a book by um another book by steiner talking about how when we were humans were made flesh mm -hmm. um uh, when we got our self-awareness what happened was our third eye started mm -hmm. to take conscious control of our throat mm -hmm. and and so our thoughts became flesh the word was made flesh and now we don't give it a second thought that you can have a thought and then vibrate your voice box and then other people can have thoughts based on on that so that the in in the book i describe how the um the next phase of evolution is us taking conscious control of our lower chakra points mm -hmm. and so i know already you can take conscious control of the heart chakra point and you can use that as a healing force um and i've experienced this just once myself where if you take uh, conscious control of your lower chakra points you can levitate Mm -hmm. So you can actually you can change your bond with gravitation by taking conscious control of the root and uh, sacral chakras, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that, and maybe we can talk about that right now. Yeah. Talk to us about your uh, levitation experience. What you know, what was happening? What's the story I, like? I've um I've interviewed two other people on my podcast. It's happened to. Um, I was doing a thing called the spinal breath with a lovely lady called Judith Davis, mm -hmm. and so I was horizontal on on her couch. Right. And she took me through the spinal breath technique. And, and then I said to her, I feel really, really weird. Something strange is happening. And she said, I'm not surprised. You've just done a full body levitation. And, and I've been researching it since then to start find, trying to reverse engineer what must have happened. And yeah. the only conclusion I can come to is that time stopped for me personally at that time. Mm. And I think the equations of physics talk about if, if, if time stops, then your bond with gravity stops as well. And so I went right. into this this timeless, I call it a real timeless state. And mm -hmm. um, basically gravity and I just became disinterested from with each other. That's the only way to describe it. It hasn't happened since. And I, I'm not really trying to replicate it, but I've just kind of right. studied some of the, 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 the quantum physics behind it all. And mm -hmm. also I've interviewed some other people on my podcast it's happened to. And looking back through time, um, there were people like Thomas Aquinas, the mystic. It, he used to levitate apparently in front of the, the altar when he was, praying and stuff like that and i guess when you go to a deep meditative state yep. then you can get to this place where time stops and gravity stops anyway so, and i've used that in the book a lot so uh <laughs> oh yeah this is a very pretty fascinating topic so at that point when you say spinal breathing were you doing a, a form of kriya yoga again i've done very you know i've done real 
small amounts of formal meditative practice. I, I, so I couldn't give it a name. I could probably find out from Judith what she calls it, but she just calls it the spinal breath. And it's kind of yeah. a breath that starts at the base of your spine, goes all the way up the back of your spine to your yeah. crown, yeah. Uh, on the outside, and then right back down again as this sort of circular breath. So you, if, yeah. if it's my, it, it must have a name in you. I just don't know what it is. So. Yeah, because I've heard of two two variants. So in India, it's the Kriya Yoga, where you take the breath up your spine, up mm. to the crown, and then you, you know, like a waterfall, you bring it down. Okay. All, yeah. all, and so, it's, and so in, in China, it's uh, the microcosmic orbit. Mm -hmm. And in India, it's a, it's a form of Kriya Yoga, but it's fascinating that you did that. And I'm going to yeah, I'm going to do more of that as well. So th thanks well, a lot gonna, for letting me I'm know. I'm going to do a search on Insight Timer for a cryo yoga meditation. There must be one in there, at least I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, in your book, uh, and and I, especially when I was younger, was very much into uh, you know science fiction. But mm -hmm. these days, uh, I don't do much reading into that, but probably I should. But I used to read about uh, Isaac Asimov and, and Arthur C. Clarke and all those other fascinating books. Um, Recently, I went to a thrift shop and, you know, you get mm -hmm. some of the most uh, amazing books over there. And I came across this book, July 19th, 2019. Mm -hmm. Have you come across that? That's a book, I, I believe, by yeah. Arthur C. Clarke. But he had written it about 25, 30 years back. Okay. And yeah. he sort of predicted, you know, what's going to happen and what are some of the technologies that might come out. And the reason why I got it was because, well, we are July 27th. And so the date has already passed. And I just wanted to see what he predicted, how much does it actually match with what we have today? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's fascinating how, you know, science fiction writers sort of like you've alluded to go into the future in a way, project into the future mm -hmm. and bring stuff back. And you also predicted some futuristic technologies, right, in your book that might be considered normal in the future. Uh, so could you talk to us about some of these, uh, yeah. some of these technologies? Well, uh, Elon Musk Hyperloop, I, I, was, I wrote about Tubeways ages ago. Yeah. Uh, now we've got these things. What else have I got in there? Um, I got um, got a levitating space drive, which is kind of useful. Nanotechnology, three um, uh, D printers. So um, when we go to Mars, and I feature a, a bit of Mars terraformation in there. Um, right. I didn't send loads of equipment to Mars. I sent loads of th a three D printer and a tipper truck. And then the three D the the tiffer truck gets more material of the Mars surface, and then the three D printer prints another three D printer and another tiffer truck, and this sort ah. of stuff. So so you don't have to send a lot. And I just noticed that in uh, talking about going to the moon in twenty twenty recently, and they're saying, well, we'll just send some three D printers up there rather than <laughs> other stuff. And yeah. well, there's water ice. I was talking about water ice at the bottom of the the moon and stuff like that, and and that's all been detected uh, now. Um, I also um, another event in the book is um, is a is a cigar shaped asteroid that nearly hits the Earth, and mm -hmm. one of those flew past about two years ago. So there's loads of stuff yeah. in there that I was writing ten years ago when I wrote the first version of it, ten, 10 or twelve years ago, that mm -hmm. seems to have transpired. And then there's loads of other made up stuff that also might transpire over the next uh, twenty, thirty, forty years. But um, you know, we've got communicators now. You know, in Star Trek, they had these communicators. Now we've all got a communicator, haven't we? Which is a mobile phone. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I've got some. Have, there's a great fun about um, teleportation in there. You know, the, in teleportation in Star Trek, how they, they, um, they, they, they just go down to the planet and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've written like an almost one, one, one chapters about how it's not as simple as that because what happens if you were to teleport 
uh, about six inches into the ground, you get stuck and infused in the rock and stuff like that. And yeah. like, di you know, divers coming up, divers coming up from the deep. When mm -hmm. divers come up from the deep, you can get the bends. So yeah. I've got these teleporting dolphins. So what the teleporting dolphins do, even though they go across about 150,000 light years of space in not right. much time, it still still takes a few hours because they've got to go and get some of the molecules from the water in the Earth. Mm -hmm. bring those molecules back to their planet, surround themselves in a bubble of the target destination's water, and then they transport, they teleport themselves and the bubble over back to the Earth, if you know what I mean. So they're already acclimatized from the water on the, on the, on oh, the source planet it. to the destination planet. So I've had, I've had just great fun just reimagining what it would have to be like if it was actually possible, you know. And of course, yeah. dolphins are much smarter than us, so they know how to do this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, uh, have you heard of Johnny Quest? No, you know, the, the, the cartoon. There was a cartoon called Johnny Quest, uh -huh. uh, which basically in the nineties was about this kid. Uh, his father's a scientist. This kid, this girl, and the, and his friend. What they do is they have these devices that they put on, and they automatically get uh, enter a, uh, an artificial or some other world, like a, like a digital world. I'm forgetting the name for it. Mm -hmm. But that technology was far ahead of its time. And that was mm -hmm. before the internet became mainstream. Mm -hmm. And when I thought I would get internet, I thought I would get something like that, where you just, mm -hmm. you know, you put this thing on your head and then you enter like a digital world or uh, an artificial reality world, so to speak. So mm -hmm. when I actually got the internet and with that box in front of me that made this weird sound dial up, I was, I was a bit disappointed, <laughs> you know? And so maybe I was, you know, I was expecting much more from the internet and maybe these days we're close to what i had imagined yeah. Yeah. which is you know artificial reality and, and and simulation and and machine learning and things like that <laughs> well it's, it's uh, one of my favorite programs at the moment is black mirror and he de describes quite a few scenarios where that happens yeah. yeah 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 and so as an author as an author um what is your process like for you know just sitting down and and, and, and writing and, and channeling the words because there's nothing more that I enjoy these days and I'm trying to discover more about myself, but there's nothing more I enjoy than to sit in the morning and to write um, on my computer or maybe mm -hmm. write down an email to send my, to my, to my uh, community members because mm -hmm. that sort of brings out the creative side of me mm -hmm. and I enjoy that, that experience. But of course, there's, I guess, a way to get better into it or get more into a state of flow so that I enjoy it more. So, what's what's your process of of writing, if you if you may share? Yeah, well, there's two two ways of writing. Um, Junior Cameron uh, recommends doing morning pages. So no matter what you do in the okay. morning, just to, you do meditate and then slide into writing something. Uh, and, and that's pretty good if you want to just tap into this creative flow. If, however, what you what you're minded to do is write a book, then mm -hmm. I always I start with a mind map. So okay. the mind map is for a non-fiction book has got all the content, if you like, on it. Um, for a fiction book, uh, actually, for also for non-fiction, we're thinking about it. What I map is the reader state. Okay. So I don't map necessarily the content. I map the journey for the reader. Okay. So I want the reader. So in the, in this particular book, for example, it's like you know you've read books where there's a murder. And you get the murder in chapter one, and then the whole rest of the book is how did it all happen? So Great. in this one, I, I set the supernova off in chapter two as it happens. So you know, you know that's that's uh, the event that's happening. But then mm -hmm. there's loads of other stuff around it, like how do they find out about the supernova? Why it wasn't discovered when it should have been discovered? All that kind of stuff. So um, 
so so I use a mind map, and then it's all about the reader, the reader state. And then when you do a, a fictional book, then mm. you've got to look at plot arcs as well. So I've got in this book, I've got three different plot arcs, and they intertwine. Uh, if you like for a non-fiction book uh it's more about what learnings i want the reader to go through mm-hmm. and and so um you, know, you might put people into a slight state of confusion first and then to give them enlightenment confusion enlightenment and that kind of thing but everything starts with it with a mind map with me and the great yeah. thing about a mind map is that the right brain sees the picture so it yeah. sees the whole and the left right. brain can go and fill the, the detail in yeah mm. That's amazing. I mean, uh, mind maps, that's great. I'm taking that down for sure. But also plot arcs. I mean, there's something to be said about um, in knowing how to tell a story, mm-hmm. right? And uh, also knowing about the hero's journey. And mm-hmm. this is something that the movies, like some of the most successful movies, including Star Wars, they have mm-hmm. this plot arc. Stories do it. And like you mentioned, even these murder mysteries, they start with a murder and you get the audience really engaged and fascinated about what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And then you keep revealing it bit by bit, almost teasing the audience, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's fascinating. Thanks a lot for sharing. Pleasure. Uh, so, so have you heard about the uh, Younger Dryas Cataclysm? No, which one's that, what's that one? So basically the idea is, uh, this is by the author Graham Hancock. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what they say is about 12,000 oh. years back, there was a large asteroid that crashed onto the Earth. Um, mm-hmm. And what happened was it led to the rise of uh, water levels around the world, climate mm-hmm. change, um, and also the extinction of over 70% of the uh, flora and fauna uh, mm-hmm. that existed. And that sort of, um, and also, sorry, the, 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 the destruction of uh, many civilizations, um, and one of them might have been Atlantis. Um, so they say that happened 12,000 years back. And basically the idea is that we didn't, you know, the civilizations didn't start from scratch at, you know, at around 11,500. There might have been uh, far more advanced civilizations before that. Mm-hmm. And the cataclysm was just sort of like a hiccup along the journey. So yeah. what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I could I could agree with that one. I think those civilizations civilizations go back uh, millions of years. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, and and so we're not just looking at the, the that cataclysm. There's probably cataclysms that go back uh, hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions of years. I think we had consciousness uh, like million two years millions back. Uh, one of my thoughts about one reasons why Atlantis can't be found, and Lemuria yeah. can't be found, is yeah. Atlantis yeah. was on Mars, and Lemuria was uh, the planet that used to, that's for now forms the asteroid belt. So oh. they were on they were on different planets, and one of yeah. the reasons there's not quite enough uh, the scientists reckon there's not quite enough mass in the asteroid belt that it could have been a, a the size of the planet that they that they think might have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've, ri- I've written about it in in Soul Waves the book, and uh, and I talk about it just being vaporized, so there wasn't anything left. If you know what I mean. So uh, so right. just a theory that um, we that, that we are experiment number three in this uh, solar system. Experiment number four is mm-hmm. Venus, and um, and so if, if everything goes uh, pear shaped on planet Earth, we'll just keep yeah. popping planets. Mind you, mind you, I don't like the idea that uh, people think they're going to Mars, because if we can't look after this planet, we should, certainly shouldn't go to another planet and, uh, and mess that one up instead, or as well. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think as humans, we need to be a bit more, uh, uh, you know, well-behaved. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and the point of the book is that we, we become, over the course of the book, uh, it's, it's a post-dystopian cyberpunk. So actually, it starts in 2059, and our humans have actually got their act together by then. Um, uh, which is kind of interesting, uh, and we will. Mm-hmm. You know, we are becoming 
Um, we're moving from planetary abusers to being planetary caretakers. I reckon within one or two generations, we'll have it pretty much last. Yeah, that's, that was actually my next question is where do you feel overall humanity is heading? If you could elaborate a bit on that, uh, you, you know, because there are obviously two sides of it, right? Because there are mm -hmm. some people who in many ways are leading to the destruction of maybe the oceans or maybe the um, rainforest and things like that. Uh, and then there are some people who are uh, being very altruistic and doing a lot for the earth uh, and basically rallying people towards a common vision that of a one earth so that we can protect and sustain the environment. So where do you feel overall humanity is heading? I think that I'm pretty optimistic. I'm an optimistic kind of guy anyway. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that the good things that are happening on the planet get reported as much. So we have this bias that everything's going, as I say, pear-shaped. But yeah. there's a lot of good work out there. Um, and it, we're only um, 100 years since that first world war, you know, that horrible, uh, that, that horrible mm -hmm. war. And then we had the second mm -hmm. world war. So we're not long into it. And, and a, a change at this level takes about two or three generations. Yeah. You know, so every, every 20, 30 years, you've got a new generation. And I think today's generation, um, with help of the, the elders, if you like, are going to do some pretty good work. I think we're going to see some amazing things uh, happening on planet Earth. And I think we, we are capable of, of sorting our own mess out. One, one thing I'd love to see, and I'm, actually, I, I'm doing this for myself personally, yep. is I'd love to see the, 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 the use of fossil fuels uh, decreasing. So I'm, I'm in a house now that um, does take, take some electricity, but it takes most of its power from the sun. Uh, mm -hmm. I, what it, it's, I can't call it an eco house because it's not built from eco materials, but at least it's a, it's a passive house in terms of its uh, energy usage. And as soon as I... Uh, as, as soon as I've unpacked all my boxes from the house move, mm -hmm. the first thing I want to buy is an electric uh, car that plugs into the sun as well. Mm -hmm. So we kind of go off grid. So, and and I think if you think about where we were a um, hundred years ago to where we are now, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think within two generations we, we won't use um, petrol-driven cars anymore. It'll just disappear. Yeah. You know, so we are getting there. But then, then we've got to find out um, good ways of producing electricity. Now we've got that with with the sun, obviously. But yeah. on an island like Britain, we could be completely independent just with wave power. But, of That's course, the, the powers that be are just building another nuclear power station. The amount of mm -hmm. money they spent on it, they could have had um, the, the UK completely independent of any of these sources, of uh, these old sources of, of electricity generation. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've got politicians that are in for four years. They're not thinking past the next election date. You know, we need we need to be thinking bigger and mm -hmm. we need to be thinking longer, long, longer term. And we need to be moving from this planetary abuser status to planetary caretaker status. Absolutely. So thanks a lot for sharing. I mean, I, I see a lot of, especially in Vancouver, a lot of people uh, adopting electric cars and mm -hmm. uh, just reducing their footprint uh, carbon footprint as a whole and just being more mindful about their usage. Uh, there's a lot more to go, obviously, because these electric cars, especially the Teslas, can be a bit expensive. Uh, but uh, the fact that people are thinking long term over short term, uh, that's definitely helping. And, you know, the government is incentivizing such purchases from time to time, mm -hmm. uh, which will definitely encourage such behavior. Uh, but thanks a lot for sharing, uh, Tom. It was uh, great uh, chatting so far. Action Tribe, to access the show notes for this episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 332. my7chakras.com forward slash 332. And we'll have all the information about this episode uh, over there, all the pieces, nuggets that you might have missed, uh, especially if you're driving. 
uh, which I know many of you are, you'll find it there. And if you are enjoying the session so far on your iPhone, make sure you hit subscribe on your phone because that'll ensure that you don't miss on any of the new episodes that we release. Because if you don't hit subscribe, then we'll release some amazing episodes and then you'll be like, what, has this podcast stopped? <laughs> no, you, you haven't subscribed yet. Uh, the secret of life though, is to fall seven times and to get up eight times. This is mm. an amazing quote by Polo Coelho, author of The Alchemist Action Tribe. This is a powerful statement. You are on this plane of existence to learn some spiritual lessons. And on this journey, you will experience some challenges and difficulties and, and roadblocks and things that seem to come out of nowhere. Resistance is part of this uh, you know, life experience. But if you keep coming back and you don't give up, then the universe itself will sort of give in and take notice and provide you exactly what you need. Because like Paulo Coelho reminded us, we need to fall seven times and get up the eighth time to prove ourselves to the universe. So Tom, talk to us about a time when you experience a, a difficult situation or maybe a, a life challenge. How did you get into it? And then what did you do to overcome it? I think, well, I, I've been pretty lucky really uh when i um my mother had passed away and this is, i think i'd just written 11 books by then and i approached somebody to help me advise on what the next book should be i had four different ideas for it and mm -hmm. she came up with a fifth idea and said uh, why don't you write your life story and i said well actually it's pretty boring because i just landed on my feet all the time mm -hmm. and she pointed out that most um most books, you know, these uh, mind, body, spirit books about someone going to the edge, falling down, as you say, and then go, they're getting some enlightenment and then coming back. So I said, well, why don't I write a book? I could write a book where you can do it the easy way. And she said, well, that'd be really interesting, you know, so you don't have to go to hell and back because I wrote this book called New Magic for a New Era. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've not had that many times where the wheels have come off the boss. And I, my theory is that you don't have to uh, have a life-threatening event to get mm. the enlightenment there is an easier way to do it having said that i do know that the few times where i've not been in myself when i throw my toys out the pram is when i've not been loved or respective or not love what i've done mm -hmm. yes yeah, so when i when i um when i left the two companies that i built it's because people weren't respecting or loving what i brought to the table and mm -hmm. so uh, i can just say that it's not being loved is the thing that really change my life direction having said that had i not thrown toys out the pram and jumped those two times i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing now so i needed to get stressed to learn how to meditate to have perhaps doing this work right now but i've never had any any extreme um things happen to me i've had sadnesses you know obviously lost uh, people along the way and that kind of thing mm -hmm. um, um but uh yeah like, so my advice is that um that you don't have to go to hell and back on the road to enlightenment unless you choose to and actually i would disagree with paulo Coelho. so why fall seven times just fall once and get up <laughs> <laughs> wonderful wonderful advice on today's episode of course if you know how to stay in a state of flow then you can potentially avoid falling seven times you don't have to <laughs> exactly. um, and that's the idea of life is to is to uh, if you can learn from the mistakes of others so mm -hmm. that you don't make the same mistakes. Be smart, be wise, and you know, stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. uh, Action Tribe, I hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. We're learning today 
that human beings have not yet begun to tap into the superhuman abilities that they have at their disposal, abilities and skills that not only can increase your sense of happiness, your state or peace of mind, but also lead to the fruition of amazing and groundbreaking ideas that can transform this world. Um, there will be many times that we as a collective consciousness will face massive challenges, whether it's climate change or uh, water shortages or wars or even alien invasions. But we must always remember to believe in our vision for peace and keep trying for a resolution no matter what. Because as Dale Carnegie once put, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. So even though you don't seem to have hope right now, you got to, you know, keep at it and keep going. And with that, we've arrived at our last round for today, which is the wisdom round. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Tom, what is that best piece of advice that you have received till date? I think the best bit of advice that I got was from a book by Amit Goswami, the uh, quantum physicist. And it was a quote from David Bohm, and uh, who's a, another uh, physicist. And it said, if you think about the content of a thought, you mm -hmm. lose its direction. And if you think about the direction of a thought, you lose its content. Mm. And just thinking about that statement mm -hmm. is enough to get you into the meditative state where a whole new thought stream can just flow in. What is the name of the scientist you mentioned? Amit Goswami, amazing Amit man. He's been on my podcast uh, three times. I think the book is either, it's either, I think it's in the self-aware universe, that book, pretty sure. Okay. Great book. And cool. he wrote another book called The Physics of the Soul, but I'm pretty sure it's in the self-aware universe. Got it. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone, who would it be? Oh, I would love to have met Paul Foster Case, who was an amazing mystic. Uh, in fact, I think I met him once in a dream. He came to me with a, a one peso note in this dream. And he died before I was born. And uh, I looked up, it was so vivid, this dream. Because a one peso is like it's like a cent, isn't it? You know, and and, and so yeah. an American, uh, a Mexican dollar, it's just a hundredth of that. So I thought there can't possibly be a one peso note mm -hmm. in existence. So I got onto Wikipedia that morning, and sure enough, uh, while he was alive on planet Earth, there was a one peso note. There was, yeah, wow. exactly. So so he came to me and presented, it, and it's and it's got a lovely, um, it's got a stone, the the sun and moon stone, uh, Aztec stone in it, which shows that the our time is really governed by the moon uh, and the Earth orbit and stuff like that, and that we've forgotten about months don't exist; they're just made up by man, and we should get back into moon time again. And so it's kind of a message. But I'd love to spend some time with him because I've uh, been studying his wisdom for many years now. Amazing, mm. amazing chap. Got it. And uh, what is that one thing you do in the morning, or maybe before you go to sleep that has enhance the quality of your life well before i go to sleep uh reflecting on day and, and being thankful for the things that happened in the day and also you can you can also um think about the things you like to either dream about or to have happen the next day i've got a lovely meditation called just for tomorrow free on the inside timer app and in the morning i don't just meditate i'm very lucky that i've got two amazing labradoodle dogs i go for a dog walk every morning which is just great too 
and uh, you know, and, and it's actually a walking meditation. So you know, if you haven't got time to formally meditate, closing your eyes, mm. putting headphones on, just go for a walk in nature. It's as good, especially if you're near water. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, uh, what would it be? It would be. Uh, I thought about this. This is the one question you asked me about on email. Um, Paul Foster Case, the key to the wisdom of ages. And it's a book that, um, when I started reading it, it, it describes the major arcana of the tarot, 22 major arcana of the tarot, and there's a, there are 22 ways in which we think as humans, which is quite wonderful. And I, 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 wrote, I wrote a translation of that called Flavors of Thought, but the key to the wisdom of ages, when I started reading it, my aura vibrated on every chapter. It was quite amazing. Got it. So Action Tribe, would you like to receive one book for free. That's right. Audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audio book download with a free 30-day trial so that you can just check out their service, right? Because uh, like we're learning, listening is a new reading. And the fact that you're listening to this episode uh, proves my point. I love listening to my Audible books on my phone, which is where I store all these different books. And I highly recommend if you haven't tried them out, let you try them out right away uh, they've got a large library of books that you can choose from i'm not particularly sure if the key to the wisdom of ages of, is available on audible almost it's, certainly not no, no not right okay cool and you got you got you got to get the physical book because the physical book itself the print book oh, is yeah. magic magic oozes out of the white space around the mm-hmm. words perfect so we'll have the link for sure of the physical book so that they can get it from Amazon or some other uh, source. But in order to get this free audible, my7chakras.com forward slash free book, my7chakras.com forward slash free book. Try it out. I know you're going to like it. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful right now and how we can find you. Well, uh, best way to find me is the website www.tomevans.co. It's just CO. I couldn't afford the .com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's place better to find me, um, and just r- remind me of the first part of that question. It's just uh, escaped my head again. <laughs> yeah, what are you grateful for today? Oh, well, I'm grateful. I think having this conversation, and also the fact that it's not going to be the last conversation because I'm just about to record the audiobook version of Soul Waves. That's my next job. It's going to take me all of August, and then I'd like to switch my um, my podcast back on, and I'd love to have you as a guest. And I'd be awesome. really grateful for you to come on to the my my podcast and for me to turn the tables on you. Yes, that, I would definitely love that uh, to happen, to be able to connect with you. Uh, Action Tribe, if you've listened till here, it means that you really, really enjoyed this episode. Uh, so if you feel different, if you feel optimistic, you feel inspired to want to do something different with your life, please support our podcast. Uh, we really, really require your support and your donations. So choose your favorite number and donate to our movement. The link you need is my7chakras.com forward slash support. My7chakras.com forward slash support. And if you're on Instagram, uh, because I know that many of you listen to our show in your park or whether you're traveling in transit or maybe somewhere outdoors, take a screenshot of this episode or a photo of you and tag me on Instagram so that I can share your story with our community. All right. My handle is at my7chakras, at my7chakras. And finally, if you've got a question, comment, observation, or an experience that you'd like, email me. I'm at aj at my7chakras.com, aj at my7chakras.com. And finally, Tom, uh, thank you so much for appearing on our show and connecting with me. 
and sharing uh, and talking about your book soul wave which is coming out soon but also talking about the story behind soul wave and what you know went into it it was really fascinating conversation for me and uh, thanks a lot for taking us one step closer to a human revolution oh thank you so much and you're doing such a great job aj with all these fantastic conversations may it long continue thank you thank you and uh, we're going to end this broadcast everyone thanks for joining thank you for listening to my seven chakras at my7chakras.com that is my s e v e n chakras.com <laughs>